Hello and welcome to the EMS Improv Podcast, where we engage, where we are mindful, where we tell or share our stories. I'm Eric Chase. We are powered by GEMS. Today's fantastic human that we're going to be talking with and who's going to be sharing some stories with me um, is a doctor, PhD, Nikki Wolpe. She's an 18-year veteran uh, with a background in logistics, training, education, and disaster response. She recently retired after 20 years as a reserve police officer, and after retiring from the military, she started her EMS career, which was approximately seven years ago, which uh, started with a small municipality where she was also volunteering for a larger service in the city of New Orleans. She is currently a full-time paramedic for a hospital-based service. Her research is in disaster medical response and management, and she serves as a Region 1 Alternative EMS Designated Regional Coordinator within the New Orleans metro area. And she responds to various disasters where emergency medical services are needed, requested by state or local authorities. Um, in her spare time, she loves to write, she wears crazy socks, and she is also a columnist for EMS1.com online magazine. She is also self-published author of several children's books. Um, she has a lot of things to share with, uh, with you today and with me. We have spoken before, so I'm very interested and eager to, again, introduce Nikki Volpe. Welcome, Nikki. Hi, thanks for having me. appreciate being here. So you being here, uh, I saw and found you on LinkedIn, and I was very interested in seeing a paramedic with a PhD, and I knew there had to be a story there. And um, knowing that there was a story and reaching out to you to see if you'd be interested in sharing your story, um, you wanted to have a conversation, you know, to kind of feel how you felt comfortable, who I was, kind of how it might go. And, and I totally understand that. And with that being said, you have several things that are profoundly impactful that have happened to you. And then I know sharing with our listeners and, and, the, and your friends, family and, and followers, um, that may, they may not know all these things. So I wanna give you the platform today and the opportunity to share with uh, the GEMS listeners and everybody else that, that they're gonna share it with and all my followers, a little bit about you. So you do have a PhD and you are also a paramedic. Um, you're, you're gonna be talking about resilience and the future and how you may be apprehensive and how things have changed and how you've had to go different directions in your life. So with that, I know you know where you want to start, and I'm going to leave it to you on that portion. Hi, yeah, thank you. I appreciate being here. Um, I definitely have a story. I call it my heart story. Um, in 2011, I uh, passed out doing my PT on base, and um, thank God a fireman named Todd uh, with the base fire department um, saw me and he called over the paramedics, shout out to Tim and Todd. Um, they were really instrumental in getting me, um, taken care of that day and me finding out that I had something wrong with my heart at that time. Um, the paramedic noticed, uh, abnormality on the EKG and, um, did one of those persuasive, why don't you want to go to the hospital questions? <laughs> and I'm like, no, cause I'm too busy. And he was like, I really think you would benefit from, you know, going, getting checked out. So long story short, uh, I spent the weekend in the hospital and found out I only had about 20% of my left ventricle that was working um, and left with a life pack. Spent five months on bed rest with a life pack and got my first uh, AICD in 2012. 
I got my second one in 2016 and I'm about to get my third one in a couple of months. Um, it's a pacemaker and a defibrillator. Uh, so it changed the course of my life, basically. Um, I had to retire from the military, sadly. <laughs> my plans didn't go as, uh, as I expected them to, but I think it, it worked out in the long run, looking at it retrospectively. Um, at the time, I was a little distraught, didn't know what I was going to do after I retired. Um, and my husband said, well, you always want to teach, and you, you, why don't you just go back to school? Because I had just uh, graduated from Loyola in the criminal uh, justice program with forensics, and I thought I wanted to be a cop full-time, <laughs> but uh, it just didn't, didn't work out that well. Um, that way. So I went back to get my PhD and um, halfway through I quit. So I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know what's, you know, the meaning of all of this, what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. What am I meant to do as opposed to what do I have to do? And I was in a unique situation where I could pick, um, you know, working so long, I, I was able to get a retirement and I um, wasn't really sure which way to go. So uh, I had a friend of mine, um, TJ, he had said, why don't you just come over and hang out with us and in the EMS and see what, what's going on over there. So I did, and um, I was enrolled in EMT school. <laughs> I finished that and then I said, well, I don't wanna half-ass my, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> Um, I didn't want to like quit my PhD. So I ended up after getting an EMT, uh, going back and getting my PhD um, in disaster response. Um, and then at about the five year mark in EMS working there, I was like, I think I'm limited. I think I need to go be a paramedic. Uh, I can do more, I can help more. And um, I finished that about three years ago. Uh, since then, it's just been, trying to focus on being the best paramedic that I can um, with my patients and or our patients and, uh, you know, building up my skills and honing in on that. And a little bit on the side, I'm starting to get back into writing uh, like I was before. It was kind of dormant for a little while, but um, I'm se seemingly uh, having more ideas about what I want to write about. Um, so, yeah, that was basically me in a nutshell. So a lot of things were said, and, and I want to go back to something that our, our listeners might not know, two things, um, the Life Pack and the AICD, um, the implantable uh, pacemaker defibrillator. But the Life Pack, if you if you can just briefly tell tell our listeners what that Life Pack is. Uh, you and I both know what it is, but just so they know. And then I have several questions in relationship to kind of what you just shared. Yeah, sure. Um, a life pack is an external defibrillator. You wear it, it almost looks like a bra. Um, it has the gel pads in it, it has the electrodes, um, and it connects to an external device um, that you carry, kind of like a purse that's connected to you. Um, and it's very sensitive to vibrations, but it also picks up to um, any arrhythmias I might have, or um, I was I was going, my heart rate would spike really fast sometimes, and then it would go low, and then it would go really fast, uh, you know, causing dizziness and stuff. So um, that was just a precursor 
before I did the AICD because I knew in the DOD regulations, um, cause we would do deployment readiness that I would have to um, retire if I have a device because they don't let anyone stay in if, um, if you have a defibrillator or pacemaker. Well, back then, I don't know if it's changed now, but um, basically um, I didn't, I was having a lot of pushback because my electrophysiologist wanted to put it in sooner than that, but I knew it would end my career. So I was just kind of crossing my fingers and hoping that my ejection fraction would get a little bit higher, but it only came up to like 30. So thank God I didn't have to do the heart transplant thing. I was consulted for that, but um, as long as I was getting better, all the other stuff um, kind of went to the wayside and now I'm just managing it with, um, medicine and and diet it seems to be working well all right so you so with all that and for the listeners i appreciate that explanation you have congestive heart failure you are in active heart failure and you just said you said to the to the listeners that you, you take medication and diet to to stave off you're not currently um you do not have an lvad currently do you a left ventricular assist device no, no, no. I never had to do um, any of that. Okay. Uh, so pivoting back, um, because you've always been goal-oriented, you're, you're a very, I'm going to get things done person as a spouse, as a mother, as a student, as a veteran, as a paramedic. Um, you had no plan B is one I of did. the things that we spoke about. So how catastrophic was that for you when you first were aware that you were going to have to make this transition and you were kind of giving yourself a little bit of pace and time while you still had the life vest or the um, on or the life pack vest on while you were waiting for the implantal device because you knew at that point then your military career with the Air National Guard was going to be over. Um, what was kind of going through your mind, fears, anxieties, uh, depression, anything that you want to share um, and then because you didn't have a plan B, what steps you made personally, emotionally, spiritually, wherever you want to go with that to kind of get through to where you are to the next step. And there are several steps in the process here. Yeah. Um, I think the way when I, when I did my exit for the VA, um, I was able to speak to some of the counselors and stuff there and, um, the way they pretty, pretty much put it to me and I, I agree with them is um that I was grieving so because I had something and I lost it so um <clears throat> excuse me I I feel you um I, I see for those that don't know I get to look at the people they're either in front of me directly in person or or via the internet and, and saying that still, and I, and I want you to go there, but I, I want to give you a pause to kind of just let your, your words and your thoughts kind of collect themselves. Because I, I felt that visceral emotion. I saw, I saw your response and reaction. And I think that's a great way of putting it for, for the people to hear it, that you're grieving. And for them that shared that with you, the counselors, I'm grateful because then that's something that's tangible. Because without putting a word to it, uh, it you may have been more lost. So I appreciate you letting me step in there and I apologize if I cut you off. Um, that no, wasn't no, my intention. Um, no, I appreciate it. You, you were, you were grieving though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm, I'm to the acceptance stage so far. Um, it was, 
it was very, very difficult. I was like, why me? Why did this happen? Um, is it my fault? Uh, is there something that I could have done, should have done, would have done? Why did I not know this? Um, why didn't I know that my heart wasn't working right? Um, I get out of breath every now and again, but I thought it was because I was, you know, a little bit overweight and I needed to exercise more. It was, it was basically a pretty much shock to our family and, and us. And, you know, like, what, what are we going to do? Like, how, how am I going to live and pay our bills? And fortunately, um, uh, my amazing husband <laughs> is able to, to navigate all that. And he helped me tremendously along with our kids. I mean, they were much younger back then. Um, our youngest was five and he actually saw me collapse. So that took a little toll on him too. Um, so I think them growing up now with it, hopefully they'll be able to see a, a little bit of, you know, there is, there are times in your life where you do have things and you're like, woe is me, why does this happen? But at a certain point, you, you, can, have, you can have that woe is me, but at a certain point you have to move forward or you have to, you don't have to, but it, it's beneficial to you and your family to be able to move forward and say, okay, well, I can't do that anymore. What can I do? What are my current abilities? What are my capabilities? What have I prepared for? While I was in the military, I knew I wanted an education once I retired because that would be beneficial. So um, it, it kind of opened my eyes to um, having a plan B because, you know, like people ask me now, like, what do you, where do you see yourself in five years or 10 years? I, I don't know. I can't tell you that because I did have a plan and I could see myself in the past, you know, where I wanted to be but something happened and made it change. So now I'm like, well, I'm just, hopefully I get to wake up tomorrow. So, <laughs> or I, hopefully I, you know, get to do whatever I want to do on the weekends with my kids. It's just, um, it's not that I don't plan. I still have goals. I still have long-term and short-term goals. I just, um, I just have to think of all the options and everything that's available to me. Um, and, and not just stay on one path or think that it's absolute one path. It kind of opened my mind to just to other opportunities, if that makes sense. It does. And, and to me, that's a resilient mindset that you had to endure and go through physical um, and, and heart issues in order to come to that kind of understanding and acceptance within, within your um, spirit. And I, and I say spirit, and, and for those people, I'm not intending to, to talk any way that, that they may not agree with. I, I'm, I'm just talking about your soul, your psyche, the person that you are, and what, what things were going to look. So I, I imagine things were going really, 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 really fast, and then trying to address things, and this wasn't my plan, and why did this happen? So as these things were happening, and you realized that you didn't have a plan B, and today you're telling us that you, you still have plans and goals, but they seem to be more tamped back to realistic uh, expectations of what your physical health may be today, maybe tomorrow in order to continue to live life. And so those are my words. How do you um, maintain as positive a mindset as you do 
in the world that you have. You talked about an amazing husband. You have children um, and, and hearing their stories, that spectacular uh, what they're doing for themselves. Where did this come from? How do you maintain it? And how do you fuel it for your tomorrow and, and the next day? Um, I have no idea where it came from. Um, I mean, I, I've seen other relatives in my family that have, some have wallowed um, and then they pretty much, they accept that it is what it is. But sometimes there are other ways or other things that you can do to, you know, get yourself out of a situation and make your life better. Um, I didn't want to be one of the people that, well, well, I just accept that I just have a bad heart and lay in bed all day. So I can't, I can't do that. Um, I, I just have ideas and thoughts and um, some of it is a little bit, uh, you know, going around in the circle in my head um, until I write it down or I, I do it and then it, it's like released. So that's some of my resilience comes from that. But for the most part is it takes a lot of energy to sit down and wallow. And then sometimes I just get sick of myself and be like, what are you depressed about? <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, well, I have to reaffirm this is what's going on good. This is what's, you know, great with the kids. This is what's great with my husband. This is what's great with my life right now. Be like, and then also being an EMS for the past seven years, and be like, I really don't have much to complain about. Um, seeing how other people are living and, and taking care of them and seeing their mindsets of, um, you know, well, I'm just going to accept that I have COPD, so I might as well just smoke another cigarette. So it's just, I can't, um, I don't know. I guess I would have to just say that it's within my core, but I think it's also learnable um, based on, learnable if that's a word, um, based on <laughs> people's, uh, you know, experiences. And then also I have a lot of um, influential mentors. Um, some know that they're my mentors, but others don't. I look, there's a lot of people I look up to. And I sometimes I think like, if I quit now, or if I do this, or if I just wallow or, or have like a, our, our pastor used to say stinky thinking, it just, I just, will find myself in the same situation that I can't get out of. So am I stinky thinking right now? Probably. Well, let's look at this positive stuff. Um, and the positive stuff always outweighs the stinky thinking part. So I just, I think sometimes it's actually at a person's core, but I also think that um, you just have to get you know, tired of being tired and then just wanting change basically. I, I hear that. And that resonates with me. And without me belaboring the point, but just you and I have uh, heart stories, which was another thing that really was an interesting connection and in how the universe brought us together for you, for you to share your story. Um, one of the things you wrote, and you, and you talked about the mentorship from the military and EMS leaders. And then uh, you said you felt lucky that there were people around you that gave you a chance, uh, not only developing your clinical skills, but your leadership style. And I, I want to ask you a question uh, in, in, in vain to what we talked about a while ago is 
one of your overarching goals uh, of this conversation, and not just sharing your heart story, uh, you had mentioned was how you used resilience to keep moving forward and achieving your goals. And albeit we know you, you didn't have a plan B, but it was a different route than you had originally expected or anticipated or planned for. Um, you've also never been comfortable, you said, being vulnerable. And your, uh, your experiences have taught you that there's a special connection that forms when uh, we show our vulnerabilities that are coupled with strength and determination. Um, all of that together, you know, just vulnerabilities coupled with strength and determination and resilience, those light me up because that's the way I try to live my life and through the adversity and the illness and heart disease that I have, have suffered. Um, and, and also being pissed off uh, and mm. sad and everything else with why. Um, but because it's your story and I want you to articulate some of those points uh, the resilience to keep moving forward on a, on a new path, making a new path, one that you weren't even thinking about, and then the vulnerability piece with that special connection um, when, you, when you add your strength and the determination that you've always had. So if you want me to add something specific, I will. That's kind of a lot of stuff. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure. So firstly, Using resilience. What does resilience mean to you? Um, and you're being vulnerable by sharing that. So to you, what does resilience mean? And how have you used the model of resiliency or the resilient mindset that you have in some of what you've done? And you've talked about family, you've talked about uh, mentors, you've talked about leaders in your life. But the resilient mindset, was it modeled to you? Uh, or did you just, you know, decide to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and just say, I'm going to do this. And that's the determination you talked about. Um, you know, growing up, I, I had a, a few women in our family that, that were very resilient. Um, my grandmother being the one, the, the main matriarch of our family. Um, she would often talk about like things not going the way you want them and um, but seeing her in her forties, um, and then her, when she got cancer in her fifties, she always had a great, um, outlook, even though, you know, she was sick for a while. Um, she, she always be like, you know, come on in, there's some food on the stove. How was your day? Kind of thing. Even if she had the crappiest day ever um so i, so I, I got a, go ahead i'm sorry i got no, a lot of uh, resilience from her um you know she's been she's been gone for about 20 years and she's still you know making an impression on my life I, I again see a visceral response when you when you kind of uh, recollect the the impact that she's had for you. Um, why is that so important to share in the vulnerability that you're sharing with the listeners and me personally? Uh, because I get to see that and feel that. Um, has this given you 
a different level of empathy and connectivity to the people that you deal with, including your patients? Oh, absolutely. To anyone, really. I mean, if you're, you're in a rough time, um, it's, it's really temporary. And what you do during those temporary situations could have permanent effects, but it could also, you know, have a positive outcome to really, we, you know, we see everybody, not everybody, but most of our patients, we see them on their worst day ever. Um, and some of them end up asking us, you know, am I going to die or am I going to lose my leg or am I going to, you know, see my kid again? Um, and I think it's just to be honest with them and ourselves that drives the resilience. Um, look at where you're at at that moment and then figure out this is just temporary or it could be something permanent like a heart condition. Hey, how am I going to, what's my new norm? How am I going to live with this? What are my limit, limited limitations? Um, what are my capabilities? Like, um, I get a lot of um, not pushback, but I get a lot of like, you have a PhD, why are you an EMS? And I was like, well, EMS deserves PhDs. <laughs> so we, we deserve people in it to, to do the research. Not that the doctors or the other researchers are any less qualified. Um, there's just a different perspective that you get from working on a truck. And I, I know um, I'm trying to be real. I probably won't be able to be on the truck for very much longer. But while I can, I do want to take advantage of, of doing the job. Um, it just teaches me a lot um, about society, about my coworkers, about the big health system, um, why people aren't getting what they need. Uh, but it also helps me to relate to my heart patients. You know, um, you know, I had someone that we responded to that his pacemaker shocked him 12 times. And I'm like, holy cow, it's doing its job, but it's taking a toll on him. And um, he, he was like, we, you don't know what I'm going through. I said, well, I don't know what you're going through being shocked, but I do have a pacemaker too. And he was like, you do? So it just added another level of connectivity to, to my patients. And I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I can do some good for those patients too. And then that just fuels my resilience to want to go on and do this a little bit more because people are benefiting from learning um, from, you know, my past experiences. So I just... I just think that, that to my core, I'm resilient, but I've also learned it from, you know, relatives and patients and, you know, mentors, you know, cause when I was in the military, you don't, none of our leaders, <clears throat> excuse me, none of our commanders or chiefs or even coworkers would let us stay stagnant. We were learning, you know, how to be leaders. We were learning how to do the job. We had a next level to strive for. So there were different milestones throughout our career that we had to, you, we had to meet in order to get the next. So in a way it was career oriented, but it was also goal oriented. And it was okay at a certain point, if you want, if this is all you wanted to do, that was okay for you. 
Um, like if you just wanted to work in a warehouse or if you just wanted to deliver parts, you could do that. Um, but at a certain point, um, there were other people behind you that wanted to come up and they wanted to do this and they wanted to do that and they were able to. Um, but that's okay. Like everybody is okay with where they're at because it's their individual life. It's their individual career. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question, but <laughs> um, I had a chief one time tell me that you need to be more vulnerable to the people that are around you. Um, because we, uh, we had just finished this Covey, Stephen Covey survey. And um, it was part of it, you had to go get people to um, answer this questionnaire survey about you. And uh, you were to ask the people to do it. So we had to get 20 people. So I did about half and half. Um, I asked 10 people that I knew I got along with. And then I asked another 10 people that we've had, you know, differences in the past and um, they're not quite in my circle, but I think that they would give fair feedback. Um, and that was, that was a pivot point for me um, to learn that I was just goal oriented, that I was just leaving the other person or, you know, going in saying, this is what I need done and not looking at the entire picture of how that was affecting, you know, a shop or, you know, my coworkers or, or so when I started, you know, to be vulnerable in that organization that I grew up in, it, it wasn't really, everybody had already had their minds made up about me. So it was, it was like I was trying to change the way they thought about me, but I had already established their original thought. So it was, it was, it was a tough to be vulnerable in that situation. But now the difference, the contrast I see when I'm vulnerable with my patients, I'm still the stern, not stern, but I'm still the paramedic that needs to be there for them. But if I have, you know, more vulnerability, when if I'm telling a, you know, 80 year old female that, you know, we just coded her husband that he, he died, um, I, I do get emotional and stuff and I do show a vulnerability in that where I think in the past, I probably would not have, it would have been like, yep, we came, we saw, we, um, we worked him, he died, uh, have a good day. You know, I was just methodical, like a robot, but now I'm like, okay, well, if somebody was giving me this notification on my family, how would I want them to, you know, feel or act or, or show you can still say all the right words, um, you know, you can show a little bit vulnerability as well by holding their hand or, you know, if, if, if they're okay with it. Um, I don't know, it's just, it's just different than how I was before than how, how I am now. I, I don't, I don't want to say it's maturity, but I think it's just the way that I've learned some of the ways I used to be don't have to be like that anymore if that makes sense i love what you said some of the ways i used to be i don't have to be that way anymore and for those that are hearing these words um i feel that the entire journey the unplanned uh things that have happened to you 
the unexpected, the overwhelming, the infuriating that have happened to you have continued to mold you. And, and you have been fortunate to have people around you that, that love and support you and care for you and mentor you and, and provide guidance to you. Um, you want have been willing most of the time to receive it. And so now I, I hear you translating that to your patients. Oh, you have a pacemaker? Yeah. Oh, and, and your defibrillator is going off. Yes, mine hasn't yet. Um, and I understand that. So to me, when I hear you not only being vulnerable, you're also, that's at the core empathy, because you're not just feeling something or sorry for someone because you're, you're now using shared human experiences, um, goals, passions, desires, change, illness, everything, you know, family, life, catastrophe that you've personally dealt with and you've witnessed your family deal with in relationship only to yourself. We're not even talking about each of their concerns and issues that are going on. So I think empathy is a huge thing that, uh, that you're sharing and the maturity or not, because I continue to mature. Uh, I, I think maturity has to do with learning lessons and being able to adapt them to today versus how poorly I may have done it yesterday and I could be so much better today. Th these are the stories I'm hearing from you. You, you've written and told me that um, there is strength in numbers and there are people out there that can relate to each other. So I want you to talk about kind of peer support and how that helps or can help, whether it's at the organization you're with or where you volunteered with New Orleans or your first agency, how peer support is important particularly with what our shared experiences are. And when we're willing to be vulnerable, uh, it may give somebody else an opportunity to feel something and not be as feeling like they're on an island or alone. So peer support and everything that you've dealt with and how that's helped you enrich the lives of your coworkers and, and people around you. Yeah, I've, I've had tremendous, tremendous amount of support from every employer that I worked with in, in EMS and in the guard, um, you know, with the guard family. So they took care of our family when we were going through all of that. Um, but I actually thought that I would not be able to do EMS because I had a pacemaker and defibrillator. Like what, what would I, you know, what kind of things would I encounter? Um, would I be able to, you know, pick somebody up or, you know, would I be physically um, and able to endure the elements or, you know, um, do the job. Uh, so I don't put that much, you know, pressure or doubt in, into my coworkers that, that I work with. Um, surprisingly, um, that everyone has been very, very, very supportive. Um, you know, ask me how I'm doing. And it, it's just, I think the hurdle to getting to that point is when do I bring it up? Um, when, when am I working with someone? Um, and because, you know, when I'm coming into EMS, I went to the municipality, they all knew that I had a heart issue. Um, and they were all very supportive. Um, they helped me figure out my limits. You know, a patient was never not taken care of. We always were able to take care of the patient. Um, you know, there were a couple instances that I was able, um, that I did pass out, but that was a, a different issue. Um, but the way we, um, 
the way we talked about it and stuff afterwards with my coworkers was very open and they were, they were willing to learn more. Um, and now that I'm with the hospital-based service, they have been the same way. Um, they've, you know, there's no special treatment or anything because I have a heart issue. Uh, it, they just make sure that I have everything that I need to be able to do what I need to do. Um, so when I did go to the hospital-based thing, not a lot of people did know about it. So um, when I did start opening up um, to my peers about it, and I'm not afraid to talk about it, I just worry about how they will per be uh, perceive my story and will they doubt me? Will they always be worried? Um, you know, I carry an ID card with my husband's information and all my medications on it. Um, so when do you bring up that conversation when you're first working with your partner? Um, so sometimes it would work itself in the conversation when, you know, you're on a truck with a new partner and you have the, you know, the conversation in the cab, um, and it wouldn't come up or we'll have a patient and I'll, I'll say, well, yeah, when I got my pacemaker or whatever, if it happened to be related to the patient, they're like, you have a pacemaker, you know, um, wow. They, they tend to ask more questions about it once they learn, learn about it, but it doesn't change how they do their job or how I do my job. So they're very, very supportive on, um, you know, making sure that I'm okay, but also knowing that I can do my job as well as they can do their job, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I, I heard um, the, the big overarching thing for me in the words that you've used is we individually, we as peers, uh, our peers hearing this, uh, administrators, managers, and leaders, we need to be willing to learn more. We don't know what we don't know. And, and even though I can have X amount of empirical knowledge and, and rote memorization and, and all these things, um, I still don't know everything. And so opening ourselves up for the opportunity, the experience. You talked about um, you know, being curious, uh, those people accepting you or their curiosity in your condition, when to bring it up and doubt and their perception and your vulnerability and the adaptability that employers need to have and coworkers need to have and we ourselves. So you're not saying, hey, I'm doing this all by myself for me. You're saying, if we create work environments that allow us to be vulnerable and open and honest, to share perspectives, we can learn more. You have never not taken care of a patient. And if mm -hmm. that were to be an issue, that would be the first thing that I believe you would probably recognize in yourself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be on the truck if that was an issue. Or if I felt that something was going to happen, I would call our supervisor much sooner than, um, you know, I'm not going to try to play the tough person and just try to skate through and because it just doesn't do our patient um, any good. So if I have an inkling that something's going to happen or, or I'm starting to feel bad, I, I'll call over the radio or supervisor or something, but that's never happened. Um, no knock on some wood, but uh, <laughs> I um, definitely, I'm not, I don't want to be like the hero as you know, it's, it's, that's not my point. Um, it's just, I'll just, I don't want to like tough it through either. It's, 
I pretty much know myself now. I just say, okay, this is pretty bad. I think I should call somebody. Then I'm calling somebody. Um, and my partner uh, that I've had for the last year, my permanent partner, she's been amazing. Um, she's gotten to learn, <laughs> learn me fairly well too. Um, so we're able to lean on each other as well. Um, you know, she sometimes pushes as I pull and sometimes I push as she pulls. So she'll know, um, you know, if I'm not quite feeling, uh, feeling like moving a patient <laughs> one day and then if her back is hurting her a little bit, I'll, I'll, I'll step in. So we kind of, kind of learned each other early on um, when we were learning, uh, when we were starting to work with each other. Um, you know, how to offset each other. Um, but it was never at the, it's never at the expense of, of patient care. So. And, and I appreciate hearing that. The big things and the takeaways, um, you being and identifying as a female, me being uh, a male and identifying as one, um, we're, we're still, you know, the hero mindset isn't here and it shouldn't be there for everyone's safety, the patient care, our coworkers, ourselves, personally, the friends and family that we have. Um, because we are, despite our desires or initial expectations, we, we, we are fallible and we are not invincible, right? Um, right. We, we will always come to the same end and, and demise. And your goal is, is that people uh, maybe hope or, or take a small portion of your story to help them better deal with their circumstances and to better incorporate uh, joyfulness and finding and living in the present and, and doing things that they can do today, which may change drastically tomorrow. And to let people, I'm gonna assume, let people in your lives know uh, that you really truly care about where you have a bandwidth and an expectation for them and them of you to, to be firm, fair, consistent, and yet very honest and share your feelings and, and be open. So um, from a personal standpoint, you and your husband, without getting into it profoundly deeply, um, since you two have to have a relationship that's uh, not only for each other and support and, and, and for the kids, but all these things that came up and that you ha have had to deal with, and you said he was amazing. What are the, some of the ways that uh, you guys learned that might help uh, somebody here uh, that's listening uh, to work with their spouse or a loved one in communication that you had to be willing to share in order to have true understanding and 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 in questions answered before we kind of start wrapping it up. Yeah, um, like like you said, he's been he's been amazing. Um, I know early on when we were going through all the, I mean, he's never missed a, a heart appointment. Um, he's always been, you know, right on my ride or die on my right side. Um, we had to learn how to like not sugarcoat stuff. Um, communication was very, very important for us early on because the doctors were telling him things and then they, they weren't telling me things um, as, and I'll give you an example that, um, he told me years ago, he just told me this a couple of years ago that the doctor said, don't make her upset. You know, it could cause her to go into arrhythmia and, you know, try to 
have her be calm all the time and not running around. He's like, do you know my wife? So um, basically he, he was kind of tiptoeing on eggshells around me in the, in the beginning. And I was like, what, what's going on? Like, let's talk about it. And he's like, cause I was in denial at, at first about it. It's like, it's not that serious. You know, I'm just going to bounce back. It's going to do this and this. He's like, no, it's not like we had to be present in reality and be like, yeah, this is, this is our new norm. So you can't just say that it's just a cold. You're going to get over it. This is not, this is not that. So I think being honest with each other um, and then opening communication, I didn't want him to know that I was that sick <laughs> because I thought he would, he would be scared. Um, and I think to a point he was, <coughs> excuse me, but he, he also showed resilience too about taking care of the family when I was out and, and taking care of the bills and then, you know, making sure that we always had enough and we always had everything that we needed for our boys, you know, to go to school and to do what they needed to do. Um, it wasn't always pretty, but <laughs> um, we did get into some heated arguments because his opinion was, um, I need to take it slow. I need to, I need to not do so much. And, and he, he, he didn't want me to overtax because for a long time I had this cycle where I would just bring on, bring on, bring on. And then I would be so overwhelmed by everything that I brought on myself. I would just stop, stop doing everything. I would just shut down, you know, and then I would pick everything back up again. So uh, since he told me that in the first couple of years, he was like, you need to just slow down. I was like, but I'm not dead yet. I, I can't slow down. And he was like, all right, well, what, how about we just, prioritize you know what needs to be done first um you know <laughs> we had an old commander that used to speak compartmentalize things you know do you really need to be doing that right now um or do you really need to be focusing on this and it was it helped out tremendously um you, while I was in school you know my my studies and stuff he would say, don't worry about the dishes. Don't worry about the laundry. Just go in, do your writing. Um, and that was a tremendous, tremendous help. Because before that happened, we would spend all Saturday cleaning. And now we spend all Saturday doing stuff with the kids. Um, so it's not, it, it was just a mindset and a shift. Like, why are we spending our whole day doing cleaning around the house when we can do a little bit during the week? And then by the time Saturday comes, it's already done. So we we learned how to prioritize um, together and communicate a lot more. Um, and just showing each other vulnerability. You know, you had you had brought up the vulnerability before. You know, he's he's my strong, tough husband. He can handle anything. Um, and it won't affect him, is what I used to think. And I know it affects him as as much as you know it would affect it would affect any spouse who's has no control over how their other spouse is feeling or their medical issues. They can't fix it. He's a fixer. So sometimes in our conversations, I'm like, I just need you to listen to me. I don't need this problem fixed. I don't need you know any 
advice. I just, I just want to vent right now. And he was like, all right, go. So, and then other times they were like, hey, I need your help with this. And that was a long time. I would never ask for help either. It's like, I got this. I can do it all by myself. And he's like, no, you can't. And I said, yes, you're right. So <laughs> um, we just learned to, to go back and forth. And, you know, we've been married 20 years. Um, we've been together 22. So it definitely has not been in a uh, linear road, but it's definitely been worth every every year every day to spend with him he's he's amazing well hearing that and and that kind of encapsulates a lot of what you said you talked about communication and understanding and vulnerability which you also we also need to do as as leaders and managers and and co-workers and you talked about health and resilience and that mindset and i'm not broken and reprioritizing things because when adversity hits and we're all going to face adversity and you and I very similarly with our hearts. Um, we don't know what tomorrow will will mean. And that's true for anybody with a healthy heart and a healthy brain and a healthy body as of today. So reprioritizing and finding your joy and being creative and writing or wearing crazy socks or um, writing children's books or not worrying about cleaning the house because you're spending time with the kids and your spouse and your loved ones doing things that, that matter today, being present. Um, and it's cliche as it is cliche, but the present, it's a gift because it's the moment, right? All of these things that we've heard and great stuff, and you brought up Stephen Covey earlier and kind of those assessments and being more vulnerable. Um, but Nikki Volpe, uh, your, your story is not over. It's been an honor to hear you share parts of your story. Um, you're not having a plan B the anxiety, the depression, the anger, the frustration, um, the illness, the ongoing issues with falling out, passing out, hospitalizations, finding out you're now uh, allergic to contrast eye um, from your yes. most recent hospitalization. When, when is it, <laughs> right? When's enough going to be enough? And 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 what the words I heard you tell people is that it may get tougher. And it may, it might be your new normal. And, and I know a lot of people hate saying that yeah. um, and or hearing that. And, and, and I, I can agree and also accept it um, on, on both portions. Resilient mindset, which you have, um, not knowing what tomorrow brings, but being, uh, being open to accountability, individual personal accountability, professional accountability, and, uh, and relational accountability, I think are the biggest tenants. Um, you, you've profoundly articulated a lot of things, and I, and, and I know they're going to resonate with listeners. But in the last minute here, before we, we do an outro and close out, I just want you to kind of have the last couple uh, minutes in, in, in sharing with the listeners and something that you thought about after you got done saying something or you wish you would have said it this way. Um, and I'm glad you said it exactly the way you did um, because that's real honest and raw. And, and that's the truth that, that you're experiencing and have experienced. So I'll shut up and, and let you kind of, before I close it out, I want you to kind of say your last your couple things and feelings. I uh, appreciate you. You know, I've been trying to figure out uh, how I was gonna tell my heart story for the last 12 years now. So um, just 
I'm just appreciative of you having this outlet to be able to do it and just be so raw about it. Um, and sometimes, you know, I am methodical about things. It has to be just so, but I, I like this avenue of just putting it all out there. And hopefully the story resonates with other people that are, find themselves in the same situation that are in a career and then something tragic happens or catastrophic happens and they're forced to change, um, change course and that there is light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Um, and that if you are having a difficult time, then hopefully you can reach out to someone uh, and talk to them about everything that's going on. That is the key to, to all of that is to talk about it, um, to, to tell people exactly how you feel um, and what your fears and worries are. You know, sometimes we ask people, why don't they wanna go to the hospital? So we have to find out why, why is their why or what is their why? And when you find that out, then you're able to come up with some type of solutions or some type of other path to that, to that why. Um, like how my kids and how are we going to be financially responsible for things and, um, you know, what are we, what is going to happen? Um, honestly, we just don't know what's going to happen in the future. So, um, you know, I just hope others can see and learn from other people who are resilient to pursue what makes them happy and when they're faced with challenges. So ladies and gentlemen, human beings of the world that are going to hear this, um, pursue your happiness, find your joy. Um, Adversity is going to happen. And, and in the words of Nikki Volpe, um, find resiliency, be resilient, uh, whether it's ingrained, whether it's modeled to you and for you. Um, this is the EMS Improv Podcast where we have engaged, where we've tried to be mindful and we've heard uh, – Nikki, share and tell her stories. We hope they connect with you. My name is Eric. We've been with Nikki and we are powered by GEMS. Thank you very much, Nikki. Thank you.